You are listening to episode number 156 of the Pioneering Today podcast, and we are talking all about cast iron and Dutch oven campfire or open fire and primitive cooking. You, my friends, are in for a treat. If you're newer to cast iron, you might be wanting to get into it because you want to get away from Teflon and some of those nonstick coatings that as time goes on, we're learning aren't really that great for our health. That was one of the reasons that I first got into using all cast iron, oh goodness, over a decade ago. We're going to be talking about proper cleaning so that you keep that beautiful seasoning on your cast iron because that's kind of one of the issues people have with cast iron is knowing how to properly clean it and care for it because it is different than any of your other cookware and also making sure that it does stay non-stick. And if you have a proper seasoning on it, it is truly non-stick. But you might already have cast iron. And you already may be in love with it just like I, but you're wanting to take your game up and learn how to use it outdoors with open fire cooking. Because you cannot get much more pioneerish than cooking outdoors with cast iron, including baking with your cast iron Dutch ovens. For today's episode, I have brought on a special guest which is Tracy Apperson. She's a wilderness guide and mentor, and she's also the owner of Sparrow Rose Soap and Herbs. And Tracy shares my love of all things pioneer and doing primitive cooking. And she's actually been helping me decide on the next piece that I am adding to our cast iron outdoor cooking repertoire. And you're going to hear all about that because I am grilling her and asking her the things that are most important and how to go about using that piece. So you are in for a treat. And if this is your first time listening to the Pioneering Today podcast, I want to welcome you. And for all of our returning listeners, just giving you a big old virtual hug today. The Pioneering Today podcast is where we talk about and teach families how to grow, preserve, and cook their own food using those old-fashioned skill sets and wisdom so you can create a natural and self-sufficient home with or without the full-on homestead. And I have to tell you, Tracy and I are talking about a lot of really cool things that you can do so versatile when cooking over campfires. And if you are like me, you're a visual person. You need to be able to see some of these things. So we have got a ton of pictures, you guys. In fact, you might drool over them because I felt like I was going through a magazine as I was editing and getting these pictures up for you. So to get those, you got to go to the show notes for today, which is at my website, at the blog. So to get this one, go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 156. And you are going to want to go there because there are just some phenomenal pictures that are really going to help everything make sense and allow you to see exactly what we're talking about. All right, let's get to it. I'm really excited for today's guest because this is one of my favorite things and topics to talk about. And she has got some great knowledge and stories and skill sets to share with you guys today. And that is Tracy. And we are talking about cast iron 
and specifically cooking with cast iron, doing a lot of primitive outdoor cooking with cast iron. So Tracy, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Hi, thanks. I'm really happy to be here. I am thrilled. So Tracy and I were actually chit-chatting back and forth the other night on Facebook, and we were talking about, we have a very shared passion of old-fashioned pioneer, big surprise there, living, and specifically cast iron. And Tracy does a lot of outdoor cast iron cooking, and she actually has some tools that I don't have. And so we were talking about those back and forth. And she shared with me, which I'm starting with this because I know y'all are going to love it just as much as I do. She shared with me a piece of cast iron that she has that has been in your husband's family for how many years, Tracy? Mm, Five generations, so over 100 years. It's a drip drop roaster, and it's amazing. I love it. It's probably my favorite piece, and I love the history And I love the function, and it gives a lot of testimony to how wonderful cast iron is because if you get good quality cast iron and take care of it, you won't ever have to replace it. Exactly, which is amazing to me, just that testimony right there. Because what can we buy? Well, we can buy cast iron new today, but there's very few things that we can purchase today that is going to last and still be just as functional if not maybe better than the day you bought it, 100 years or five generations from now. I love the durability of cast iron, especially when you look at it as it's really a one-time investment as long as you take care of it properly. And we will be discussing taking care of your cast iron and all of that so that you can make that one-time purchase and have it last for years and years. But I just find that so amazing. So when you got that cast iron handed down, was it in working condition or was that something that you had to take and kind of bring back to life? It actually was in working condition. When it came into my hands, it needed a little bit of cleaning because we do cook over wood fires. So there was some residue and resin that I wanted to clean off, but that is just a matter of preference. It was fully functional just as is. It's really a beautiful piece. We actually did some work on it yesterday, just cleaned it up and re-seasoned it. And I'm excited because we're going to be making some stuff in it probably later this week. And I'll be making some video of that. I'm really excited for that. So Tracy is one of the guest teachers within the Pioneering Today Academy. And we started a new series on using and caring for cast iron and also doing outdoor cooking. And most of the outdoor cooking over an open fire that you do is going to involve cast iron, which is one of the reasons that I love it for both just in my regular inside kitchen, but all outside. So let's kind of start with that, the versatility of cast iron and then the care. And then we'll get into more specific tips on if you are going to be doing outdoor cooking, kind of the must have essentials, what's nice to have and how your care or just some different things like that when you're doing outdoor open fire cooking versus just using it on your regular cook stove top, that type of thing. Sounds great. Yeah, I really love cooking with cast iron, especially when we're out in the woods. We spend a lot of time out in the woods because we do a lot of gatherings and such where we have people come out and we can have crowds from anywhere from 10 people to over 40. And we cook for a big crowd. And cast iron is wonderful because it's so versatile. It's easy to take care of. You don't get the hot spots because when you're cooking over a fire, 
if you're trying to use lighter weight materials, a lot of times you end up burning your food. But we have some Dutch ovens and we have drip drop roasters. We have a huge variety of skillets, trivets, lid lifters. We have a really amazing set of fire irons that can be used either as a tripod or you can set it up so that it is two uprights with a crossbar. And we have the squirrel cooker that we can use with that as well. It's really wonderful because you can hang things over the fire. There's a lot of things about cooking over a fire with cast iron. Like you don't want the fire to be too hot. I prefer to kind of let the fire get hot and then let it burn down so that what you have left is primarily coals. I'll be showing in a video how to make like a keyhole fire so you can have coals that stay ready almost off to the side of the area that you're actually cooking. Because when you're cooking, especially with like a Dutch oven using a wood fire, you want some coals underneath, but it's nice to have like the Dutch oven with the flanged lid, which is the flat lid that has the lip around it because you want to put coals on top so that you get more even baking without burning what's on the bottom. So you need to keep coals burning, but you don't necessarily want to throw your cast iron like directly in the flame. A lot of times we also can put it on a grate or something like that if we're using skillets to make bacon. We have hung bacon just directly on the crossbar of the tripod. But yeah, there's so much versatility and it's really easy to care for in the field. We can clean it up with just salt and water or if it somehow manages to get really filthy. I know a lot of people will squirm at this, but I have used a little bit of Castile soap because it won't remove the oil, but it'll remove some of the grossness. The important part is to make sure that if you do get your cast iron wet, that you get it to dry completely so that it doesn't rust. And then I re-oil it afterwards. Easy way to make sure that it's dried completely is after you rinse it out, just set it back on the heat for a minute. You can dry it with a lint-free cloth and just set it back on the heat for a moment, make sure that it's fully dried, and then just rub a little oil on it and it's ready to go for next time. Yeah, and I think that's a great point to bring up too, because when you're using your cast iron pieces outdoors over the open fire, there's a little bit different cleanup. Not a ton. Your basic care is still the same, just like you said. But for my indoor pans, I have some skillets that I use primarily just indoors, and I just always use them indoors. And then I've got my cast iron Dutch ovens, my spider Dutch ovens, which if you're unfamiliar with what that means is the spider Dutch oven just has the three basically legs on the bottom so that when you are putting it over coals or in a campfire that it will straddle those coals but it's got those legs on there so it usually keeps it more stable so if it's a little bit uneven surface then you don't have to worry about it you know kind of tipping and listing to one side there's ways around that if you've got cast iron Dutch ovens, you can use rocks to create a little tripod or a little base for it to sit on too. But I do love having the spider ones for outdoors because the the legs and the feet are already built in and I can just put it down. But the outside of those get sooty because they're on ash, right? They're on that open Yes, exactly. Yeah. If you're using resinous wood like pine or anything like that, something other than hardwood, it can get sticky. So that is something that I try to clean up a little bit more. It doesn't really hurt it. It just, I don't like for my cast iron to be sticky like that. I would make a note of caution for those that are not familiar with cooking in the woods. Yes, rocks are a wonderful way to support lids and things like that, but please don't use river rock because if there's moisture in the rock, 
and you put it in a fire, it actually could explode when it heats. Rocks are great for setting a lid on or something off to the side, but don't use river rocks or rocks that have water in them in a fire because there is a danger of the rock exploding as it heats. I have used just even pieces of wood to get it balanced when I use the spider dutch. There is a handy dandy little thing that only costs maybe like $10. It's like a four-in-one camp dutch oven tool that can be used as a lid stand or a lid lifter or a cook stand, a trivet, a like bale lifter. It folds up. It's small. That is really handy too. But a lot of times you can just sort of get it level with the feet just by how you arrange it on the wood. But yeah, that would be one just word of caution about using river rocks around a fire. I hope that makes sense. No, it does make sense. And that's a really good tip. I'm glad that you shared that. And for any of the tools that we're talking about, I know when we're talking about tools and you're just listening to a podcast, sometimes it's kind of hard to be like, well, what is she talking about exactly? So rest assured in the blog post that will accompany this episode, we'll have links and photos so that you can go and check those out further. And you can grab that at melissaknorris.com forward slash 156 because this is episode number 156. So I'm with you, Tracy, though. I will wash the outside of my pots using a little bit of soap when they've been out on that open fire and they have a lot of soot. And just like you said, yeah, making sure that then you get it dried right away and then that you put your oil back on so that it doesn't rust. But in the house, I don't know that I've ever used soap on the pans that I use in the house. We have an electric cook stove. So I don't have gas and I use it on our wood stove too, but I don't ever have to use soap in there. So let's kind of talk about why a lot of times you'll hear when people are talking about proper care for cast iron or talking about using cast iron, you will hear the use of soap and not to use the soap come up a lot. So let's kind of dive into that, a cast iron's seasoning and how you take care of that. And that's where the whole debate about using or not using soap comes in. Yeah, exactly. The big debate about soap is that the seasoning that is on your cast iron is basically an accumulation of oil that has cooked onto the cast iron itself, which provides a protective service against rust. It also helps make it nonstick and more easy care. If you use a soap that dissolves the oil, you are damaging your seasoning. If you're cooking in the house, it's really not hard at all to use like a plastic scraper to get any residue off. If there's nothing that's stuck on, it's really pretty easy just to wipe it out like a paper towel or a lint-free cloth and then just put some more oil on it. And some people might think that's kind of gross, but when you heat it back up, you're basically sterilizing it anyway. But yeah, if you do remove the seasoning, you'll have to re-season it. So you kind of want to avoid that because that could be a lot of work and you do risk having rust and other issues like sticking and things like that. If I wanted to use soap, I would use something that wouldn't remove grease, something like a really mild Castile soap, and I would do that extremely sparingly and only if really needed. Another easy way to get things that might be a little more stuck on off is while it's still hot, but not super hot, I had a little bit of warm water or a little bit of coarse salt And you can sort of rub that around in the coarse salt. Or if you're in the woods, you can even use some sand. I've seen a lot of people use chain mail kind of scrubbies on there. 
I don't really like those that much, but I have used steel wool and that seems to be fine. I just don't want to damage the seasoning on there because you can put the seasoning back, which I've been doing on some of the pieces that I have now, but somewhat labor intensive to fully re-season cast iron. So it's best to just not damage the seasoning in the first place. Yeah, I totally agree. And for our cast iron, especially like I said, the one in the house, I'm with you. I haven't ever used one of the chainmails. I've never had need to, and I really don't wash them with soap. But yeah, I do clean them out as soon as I'm done cooking. So kind of with any pan, honestly, your glass bakeware, if you have enamelware, that type of thing, if you wash it before it has a chance to cool and really get stuck, it's so much easier to wash it out. But you're not going to be able to soak your cast iron in hot soupy water like no. some people you know, will do with your water, with your bake pans and that type of thing. And like you said, you have to be a little bit aware with your cast iron if you have a really hot pan even though it's very, very durable, there is... You don't want a temperature shock it. It could fracture. Exactly. So I will run my tap water really, really hot and then use that really hot water and rinse it out. And normally that will pretty much lift everything up. Otherwise, I've got a brush. So I'll use a little scrub brush or I use salt and that works really well too. But I don't really ever have to use the soap. And if you use the soap very often, you're constantly reseasoning it. And that's kind of the other thing I hear people talk, say, well, I want a really non-stick pan. Well, if you're taking care of your cast iron properly with the methods that we've been discussing, then you are going to be building up your seasoning without having to totally strip it and do in-depth re-seasoning every time that you use it. So the more you use your cast iron, honestly, the more non-stick it becomes. So if you've got a pan that you've been using for like 10 plus years, my cast iron skillets are more non-stick than old Teflon pans or even the ceramic coated ones, I prefer to use my cast iron for pancakes, for eggs over easy. I feel that they're much more nonstick than any of the other counterparts. Stainless steel, and we don't use Teflon, haven't used it for years. No. Yeah, I don't think yeah. there's any need. No, I completely agree. The more you use it, the better it gets. Because every time you put oil in it, and then cook with it and wipe it out, the surface gets more and more smooth. And yeah, if you do clean it out while it's still hot, not so hot that you can't touch it, but don't let it cool completely. It's so easy to clean. Basically just wipe it out and you might have to scrape off a little bit of whatever might be stuck on. Hot water and a little salt is a good way to remove that. But yeah, I completely agree. And I've got some old cast iron that the inside is like almost as smooth as glass and it's completely nonstick and it's safe. It doesn't have the dangerous chemicals and things that are in a lot of the modern pots and pans. And I like that too. Yeah. And I have to say too with my cast iron, and I think that you're probably the same way as I have actually gotten rid of a lot of my other cookware because I have a 10 inch cast iron skillet, which I think is probably my most used and most versatile piece in the house because I use it on the stovetop. Then I, I will use it on the wood stove and then I can throw it right in the oven. But I use that 10 inch skillet. I mean, I use it as a pie pan. I use it as a brownie pan, of course, to fry things as a skillet, but I bake my cinnamon rolls in it. I bake my biscuits in it. And because things, I kid you not, and I know people... Almost everybody I think that I've ever talked to who uses a lot of cast iron, I swear that your food tastes better when it's cooked in cast iron. 
Absolutely, especially things like cornbread. There is no other way to make something like that. And pie crusts and things like that, they come out perfectly flaky and crispy. And it's because of the even heating that you get with cast iron. Things just taste better and the texture is better. And I don't know, there's just something really satisfying of pulling a nice cast iron piece out of the oven with a beautifully made pie in it. It just makes you feel like you stepped back in time to the 1800s and did it the way your great grandma would have. And there's nothing that can replace that feeling and that satisfaction. I agree. And I love too, like you said, it really does feel like you have that connection with the past, especially if you've been lucky enough to have pieces passed down throughout the generations, which I think is so special and treasured. And I don't actually have that. None of my cast iron pieces were my grandma's, though she did cook with a lot of cast iron. But the simplicity of it, because like I said, you can take that one pan. I mean, what other piece of cookware do you have that you can use it and do so many different things with it from stovetop to outside to in the oven? And so I feel like it's actually simplified down my kitchen just in the amount of stuff that I have to keep stocked so that it's more clutter-free and basic without having the need to have all of those other things. That's one of the other appeals for me is we're moving toward a more simple life, a more minimalistic life. And Things that are multi-purpose and can serve many functions are a real appeal. It's also nice because we do spend a lot of time out in the woods that we can just keep a couple basic items as far as cook kit. Like you see all this modern cook kit for out in the woods camping. And we don't have to carry all of that. Basically, we have a skillet and a Dutch oven and we're good. We don't need anything else. I also love it that I can start something like a frittata or something like that on the stovetop and then take it and put it in the oven. And I don't have to worry about handles melting or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's been amazing. And then two, having that cast iron and knowing how to cook and care for it makes it a lot easier. I feel like when you're ready to move into doing outdoor cooking, kind of the more primitive cooking, which has been literally well, I don't know if literally a lifesaver, but I feel that way because we lose power quite a bit in the winter months, sometimes the summer months, but especially the fall and winter when storms come through really rurally. So when we lose power, we're kind of like last priority as far as restoring power because there's not as many customers. So power goes out, we're usually at a 12-hour minimum, usually 24 to 48 hours. Sometimes it's been weeks. But I've been in the middle of like mixing up biscuit dough and then the power goes out. We can just go and start up the Dutch oven and it doesn't affect our food prep. I can still do all of my baking and all of my normal cooking that I would do with our regular electric oven. And I can do it outside or on the wood stove. So I really enjoy that. And then when it's hot out, then as long as there's not a full fire ban on, if you have a proof fire pit and all of that, then you can still cook in that. So even during the summer to help keep the house cool, I'll use the cast iron and cook outside. And so I was trying to think back and I'm like, okay, what are these extra pieces that I use when we're doing the outdoor cooking with the cast iron that to me is kind of essential? And Tracy, you have more experience than I do. So I'm going to list mine and then I'm going to let you kind of list yours. Like, you know, if you're going to really be getting into doing the outdoor cooking, what the pieces are. Or fireplace cooking. Fireplace cooking has been a lifesaver during power outages. If you have a wood burning fireplace, your cast iron will work just fine in there. Yes, we have one. It's not really large enough for me to fit my Dutch oven 
inside once I've got all my wood in, but I could cook on the top of it and I could transfer some of the coals inside and just do it out on our back cement patio. But it's just a wood stove with a closed door. I would love to have an open fireplace in our house. Someday in my dream house or my dream cabin, I would love to have that with the open hearth. But I think when it comes to the outdoor cooking, having a lid lifter is essential. Just having a hot pad, it would be doable, but having that lid lifter, it's not very expensive, is so worth it. And then having a really long, heavy-duty pair of tongs, because I use those to arrange the coals and rearrange the coals, and having just an extra long pair, not just like your regular kitchen tongs, but you can get more heavy-duty ones for outdoors. If I could only pick like two things other than my actual cast iron skillet and my Dutch oven, I think it would be those two items. Yeah, I agree. I do like the lid lifter because I actually saw a hilarious comment just recently where someone said, how do you get the lid off when it's in the fire? And the person's reply was, arm hair is overrated. And I just had to (laughs) laugh. I'm like, you know, they do make lid lifters. Lid lifters, basically an iron piece that's got three fingers coming off the end. So you could just sort of reach in and stick one of the fingers under there and tilt it back and lift your lid off and set it off to the side. And it's got a long enough handle. You don't have to get that close. I really do like that four-in-one foldable. It's kind of like a trivet stand, lid lifter. It's got a number of functions. We can post a picture of that and I can show you different ways to use that. A very long-handled spoon or spatula is really handy. I have some that are like 22 inches. I do really recommend that you get some gloves that are suited for dealing with hot things like that. I have some really thick leather gloves that are a little bit longer because your cast iron is going to get extremely hot, especially cooking over a fire. So I do really like the lid lifter. I do like that four-in-one stand. Long tongs, long-handled spoon or spatula. I kind of have a tendency to lean toward wood for that rather than metal, because then if you're cooking over a fire with a metal spoon and you're stirring, your handle is going to get hot. Something like gloves or things like that, some thick leather gloves or welding gloves, or I've seen people use the of gloves and things like that, because when you take it off the fire and set it off to the side and you're ready to stir, it's still going to stay hot for quite a while. And you need to be aware of that, especially if you have children around. The cast iron does take some time to cool off. So those are some of my favorite things. Yeah, I agree. In fact, we have gotten the different of gloves and off brands and that kind of thing. And I personally, maybe it's just the ones that we have gotten. I don't personally really like them that well. I feel no, like I like the leather ones better. Them. Yeah, I'm with you. I feel like the other ones that the heat still comes through them and grabbing, it doesn't take very long before I can start to feel the heat come through. So I wasn't really impressed and we kind of got rid of them. So I'm with you. I think the leather is a better option than those ones. We have some heavy leather ones that are a little bit longer, and I prefer those. Yeah. That's that's what we would use. Awesome. So if you've got the basics, like I said, mine would be a spider Dutch oven, probably a four to five quart or even a six quart is kind of the size that we use the most often. But I will warn you, once you start doing the outdoor Dutch oven cooking, you will end up with multiple sizes because you're going to want to cook everything that way. And you're going to have multiple dishes going at once. And it's kind of addicting. So I think we have three or four different total sizes of outdoor spider Dutch ovens. I like jokingly tease. A lot of women say they have a shoe addiction. Not this girl. Mine's totally Dutch oven and cast iron cooking appliances. Oh, no kidding. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, but, it's convenient to have a variety of different size skillets and Dutch ovens and the accessories that go with it. I really like my little cornbread pans. Probably one of my favorite other pieces is a square skillet that was my mother's, that was her mother's. Cornbread just comes out better than that than anything. Okay, and you do not know this. I swear, you guys, Tracy and I did not discuss this when we were talking about doing this episode together. I literally just last night was thinking, I don't have a square cast iron pan and I really want to get one. So now that you said that, I'm like, okay, that's going on my Christmas list for my for Christmas. So it's so funny that you brought that up, that that was one of your favorites. I have I so that. many memories of that. I have so many memories of my grandmother cooking things and then my mother cooking things and all the cornbread and fried chicken and even brownies cinnamon rolls, biscuits. My grandma used to cut biscuits. I know a biscuit cutter is better, but she had an old Calumet can that she cut both ends off and she'd cut her biscuits with that and cook them in there. And I tell you, it just brings me back to everything good in life. So yeah, a lot of memories with that. Oh, I love that. So back to the outdoor open fire cooking. For me, like I said, my essentials is that lid lifter, having those long-handled utensils, gloves, and then a spider Dutch oven that has the flange, the flat lid so that you can put your coals on there and they're not going to roll off. I feel like that's so much easier to deal with than some of the other lids if you're doing the outdoor cooking with the live coals. If you're going to be baking in a Dutch oven, you need to use coals or embers and you need to have more on top of the lid than underneath. So you have even heating and so that you're not burning it underneath while the top isn't getting done. So for like when I'm using six or eight quart, I might have the equivalent of maybe six briquette size pieces underneath and maybe a dozen on top. And I do try to keep an eye on where the heat is. You can see the embers glowing and about every 15 minutes, I would turn the oven about a quarter turn so that you're basically keeping the heat more even and that way you don't have any spots that are getting done before the others. Yeah, I agree. That's about the ratio we do too. Is usually on that size, it's usually about that many on the bottom and then not quite double, sometimes almost double on top, kind of depending on the weather and what it is specifically we're cooking and the height of the Dutch oven versus how much food I've got inside. But what would be your next favorite pieces. So say you're going to be adding on, you've got your spider Dutch oven with the flange lid. You've got that lid lifter. You've got those long handled utensils. Would it be your tripod? And when do you use oh, the gosh, tripod? Thing. Okay. So talk to me about the tripod, how you use that the most and what you would be looking for if you're looking to purchase one or have one made. Walk me through that because that's not a piece that I have, but it's what I'm highly interested in getting. So I kind of want to pick your brain. This is for me right now. Oh, I absolutely love that thing. The set that we have is actually a set of fire irons that was made by a blacksmith that is no longer making items but it's three pieces and you can hook them together at the top to form a tripod, which then you can hang things from either by that four in one thing or by a chain, or you can set them up so that it's two uprights and a bar that goes across. And then you can hang things from that, which is really nice if you're going to hang more than one item on that. I have some photos where you'll see where I have three different pots hanging on it. So on a tripod, that wouldn't work. 
but when I have it as two uprights with the crossbar, I can hang three different things on there. I have hung bacon directly over that. I like it too because I can put the squirrel cooker on there. I don't always cook squirrel, but it's good for other things too. And you can adjust the height just by lifting it up and letting it tilt back down. It just sort of locks into place. It's extremely versatile. Now, do you use that more when you're kind of doing simmering or roasting? Do you use that when you're doing baking? Because all of my baking, obviously, I said I've never used a tripod. So I'm kind of curious, how do you pick when you're going to be using the tripod versus just putting, nestling the pot down in the coals? Okay, for baking, it's much better to put it in the coals because you do need to put coals on top or you won't get an even bake. Right. You do need a flat top with preferably the flanged lid because you want more coals on top than on bottom if you're baking or a lot of times if you're roasting. But if I were going to hang something or suspend something, that would be real common for things like soups, stews, chilies, things of that nature, things that don't need to be directly on the fire to bake. It's also good for keeping things warm because a lot of times we have these gatherings and we have people coming and going not everybody's going to eat at the same time, but we don't want it to get cold, but we also don't want it to burn. So it's like you want it to stay warm. So it's convenient when we can set up like the tripod and there's a piece called a trammel that's like a hook that helps to adjust the height of the chain so you can get it closer to the fire or further from the fire, adjust it according to the height of the flame or the coals. If you're going to buy fire irons or a tripod, taller is better because it gives you more versatility. You can always lower it, but you can only raise it as high as the height of your tripod. So okay, um, I love, that's a really good tip. Go bigger, go taller. And get something sturdy because if you've got a Dutch oven, they're pretty heavy empty. And then when you fill them, they're going to be even heavier. And the last thing you want to do is to have the thing collapse on you. Yeah, that would be horrible. But yeah, taller irons are better and I really wish I could show you the setup. I will in some photos and in the video because the way this thing works and hooks together, it's spectacular. We've cooked, gosh, all kinds of things with that. But yeah, for baking, I try to use like a keyhole fire or something similar to that where I'm just adding coals to underneath, adding coals on top. For soup, stews, chilies, chowders, things like that, I really prefer to suspend it. It is handy if you're going to put more than one pot to have the fire irons like that because then I can have multiple pots on the same, like cooking at the same time. And I don't need a grate because a lot of times if you're cooking over a fire pit, you won't have a grate. Yeah. And I have to say, that's where I see that the tripod of the system that you're talking about would be really beneficial because there are a lot of times when if I am not doing baking, which do a lot of baking or roasting with our Dutch ovens, which I haven't needed to use the tripod for because I need it down in the coals where my heat source is. But I love not having to use that grate because I will tell you having used the grate a lot in order to cook other things, when you need to add fuel to the fire, you have to a lot of times then move the grate depending upon the setup and the pit that you're using and you're continuing to add fuel to the fire as the day goes on. And so having that tripod I think would be a lot easier to add stuff to the fire without having to move the grate or move the pots to put the fuel on and then put them back down because you could just adjust it, like you said, with having exactly. 
Yeah. So that's yeah, sounds- we do a lot of primitive camping or I hate to use the word primitive because it's really not that primitive. It's more maybe traditional or heritage where yeah. we're not necessarily in a campground. We're just off in a remote location in the woods and we dig a fire pit and we get the wood going and we're just cooking just like if we were traveling covered wagon style back in the 1800s. It's a whole lot different of an experience than campground camping. Not that there's anything wrong with campground camping, but there's something to be said about using cast iron and then, okay, our shelter is oil cloth or waxed canvas. And we might be sitting there carving spoons that we're going to use and there's just something that about getting back to nature and getting back to the simplicity that I just absolutely love and being able to just say, okay, we're going to collect our wood and our tinder and we're going to get our fire going and we're going to set up our tripod and I'm going to throw the food in the Dutch oven or in the skillet and we're going to cook dinner. Yeah, there is something very special about that. And I do have to say, because we do some of both and we've created an outdoor fire and kitchen space just in our backyard on our homestead because I want that element and the ability to practice these skills and to do them even when we're at home and to take advantage of the space that we have. But we've even went into regular, you know, KOA campgrounds, um, Thousand Trail campgrounds, and we'll have our Dutch oven set up even in those campgrounds. And it's pretty amazing to see the conversations that start and you'll catch people walking by and very curious, you know, checking it out and that kind of thing. So it's really fun. Even if you are, or they come over and they want some of whatever you're cooking. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I just got back in June. I was up at the Great Lakes Foragers Harvest gathering, and I was cooking with some people up there that they forage for a lot of their food. And I saw the most massive cast iron skillet I have ever seen. That thing had to be at least three and a half feet across, at least. Was it like permanently? I mean, how would I can I can't even imagine trying to No. <laughs> no, it had to take several people, but we had about 125 people there and we were cooking some amazing things like we fried some apples and some bacon grease and we were cooking some milkweed and we made all kinds of soups and stews and all of it was made in cast iron and It was all made over a wood fire and we were out there for several days and it was spectacular. And yeah, I have to say that that was incredible. I had never seen anything like it. It was massive. I don't even know where you would get something like that, but yeah, that was very cool. (laughs) I don't either because you'd think that the mold would have had to have been specially made unless it was just like, you know, a really old piece. Now I'm going to have to do a little bit of digging. So if I can find anything online, you guys, with a link to share on that, and Tracy too, we'll have it in the blog post that goes with this episode because now I'm Yeah, I'll get, see if I can get some pictures <laughs> of that from Rachel because my friend Rachel's with Will Forage for Food and we have these gatherings and we had like Sam Thayer and Adam Harridan and some other folks up there and I was filling in for Jim McDonald who had unfortunately had a heart attack in Scotland. So I was up there teaching some medicinals. But everybody up there, the whole point of it was to cook old style. We were cooking over a wood fire using cast iron. A majority of the food that we ate that entire weekend was stuff that was foraged. We completely had permission of the land orders to forage there. I really encourage responsible, ethical, safe foraging. 
But it was an incredible experience to be in a community of people that do that on a regular basis. Yeah, there's something so special about being plugged into a community of people who are doing the things that you want to do and have a common lifestyle or a common goal. And you can share that knowledge and just being able to share it together when you have a group of people is really special. So I love that. And speaking of sharing, you guys, Tracy is sharing some of her favorite, and I'm going to have some of my favorite Dutch oven and cast iron campfire cooking recipes. Do you want to make sure that you'll get yourself to this blog post episode, which again, melissacanorris.com forward slash 156. And you'll see a button there that says click here to get for free. And you just pop your email in there and we will shoot you that whole digital guide and recipes to you so that you can use those and have those and put them into use, hopefully in your cast iron Dutch oven and skillets, and also hopefully outside, but you can cook them indoors as well in your cast iron. But there is a special element when you do prepare it outside over that open fire. And I don't know if it's possible for it to taste any different, but same thing. I swear food tastes better in a cast iron and it tastes better when you've cooked it outdoors too. It does. I do think that the cast iron does change the flavor. It definitely changes the texture for the better. And cooking outside, especially if you're cooking over hardwood, imparts a flavor. There's nothing that can compare. I do suggest if you're cooking over wood to try to avoid using resinous woods like pine because it will make your food have that kind of tannin taste Mm -hmm. and it can be really sticky. But cooking over hardwood, it's amazing. Just everything comes out so good. I agree. Even just the type of foods that you cook when you're cooking that way tend to automatically be more of the old-fashioned recipes. They just sort of lend to each other. Yes, completely. And now I am officially hungry, which we are recording this and it's a little bit early for lunch, but I am so tempted now I want to go eat. Oh my goodness. So Tracy, thank you so much for coming on today. I am so thrilled that you're going to be a guest teacher for us and I can't wait to dive into those lessons. And so make sure you come and check out all of the pictures, guys, and get all of the freebie stuff that we have for you with this episode. And thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor to be here. And I love the community and I'm just honored to help out. And this is a passion of mine that I really want to share with other people because I want to hope to inspire and encourage other people to even dabble in it, even if it's in their kitchen or in their yard or in a campground, baby steps. But taking a step back in time and simplifying, it will lead to a more peaceful, satisfying life. Oh, I completely agree. Yes, a cast iron skillet in every home. I think that should be our goal. Amen. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did, I want to invite you to check out the Pioneering Today Academy. The Pioneering Today Academy is open for enrollment from September 24th, 2018 through October 3rd of 2018. So just a little over a week for a short time, we'll be opening the doors and accepting new members before we do a deep dive and go into our new challenges that we have for members only with prizes and our new e-course, which happens to be at this moment, our cast iron and Dutch oven outdoor cooking 
e-course. So this is step-by-step video tutorial with download guides, with additional recipes and tips, walking you through all the aspects of using your cast iron, both indoors, how to season it, how to clean it, how to cook with it on just your regular stovetop and in the oven on a wood stove. And then we move outside and we show you how to cook with it outdoors, both baking and roasting and simmering. Oh my goodness. It is so much fun. We're also going to have a meat smoking lesson as well. And that is just one of the many e-courses that are inside the Pioneering Today Academy. I highly recommend that you go and check it out while the doors are open for this short time to see if it's for you. And if you have listened to this podcast for any amount of time or follow my website or on social media, I know that you are going to love it. So if you're listening to this while it's open, go to melissaknorris.com forward slash PTA. So it's a short abbreviation for Pioneering Today Academy. And you can check out all that's there. Now, if you're listening to this before September 24th, or after October 3rd, still go there and you will have the opportunity to put in your name and email to be notified when we open the doors again, because we only open the doors for enrollment a few times a year. So you can get on that notify list and that means you will have first notification when we do open again, if you miss that window. All right, on to our verse of the week. So we are in 1 Chronicles chapter 23, verse 30, and this is the Amplified Translation of the Bible. They are also to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord, and likewise at evening. And that's a short verse, and we know we are to be thankful. We know that our outlook on things, we can't change everything and all the circumstances around us. Oh, that I wish we could. But what we can control and change is the way that we look at things. And by being thankful and also praising, if you happen to be a Christian, which I'm sharing a verse from the Bible, so not a big surprise there that I am. But regardless on where your faith stands, if you're a Christian and follow Jesus or not, being thankful for what we do have and looking, actively seeking out things to be thankful for completely changes our outlook and our perspective and the way that we feel when we are going through circumstances and hardships. If you are a Christian or you do follow the Bible and believe in it, what I find is really interesting is oftentimes we think of it as a suggestion or a best practice, but really that's a command That's something we are supposed to be doing, not necessarily a suggestion. And the reason, all the the reason that we have all these things in the Bible is because God knows that we are going to be at our best and it is what is good for us, what is best for us if we do these things. And of course, we have free will, we have free choice. And I'm not trying to be dogmatic and set you down a list of laws and rules. But if every morning and every evening, we just found one thing to thank and to praise the Lord for, I guarantee you that you will see a change in your outlook and the way that you feel. And I know it's a little bit 
of a ways off until we hit Thanksgiving. Because at the time of this recording, we're still in September, but November's coming around the corner. And so I would love to invite you to do this with me and to make it a, I hate to use the word vow, but almost, but to make it a commitment. How's that? To make it a commitment to join me to do that from now, well, hopefully forever, but especially from now until Thanksgiving. If you don't do it already, Find something every morning and every night to be thankful for and to praise the Lord for. You might want to write it down. You might want to share it in social media, or it might just be something that you just do just by yourself and quietly. And speaking of things to be thankful for, I am so thankful that you are joining me on this journey of being self-sufficient, creating healthier environments for our families and our friends, and helping to spread this message and the the skill sets and the knowledge with other people as you learn them, just the same as I am. I feel so honored when I get your messages and your emails sharing your stories of how it's impacted you and how you're able to help other people. It really is amazing, and I feel so honored, and I'm so thankful for you. Have an wonderful day. I will be back here with you next week and I hope to see some of you inside the academy. Bye for now.